So turn in your Bibles or follow on the screens in front on the sides. Scripture reading for today is from the Revelation of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. This is the word of the Lord. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of his prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Children ages three through kindergarten may now proceed to the little landing. Good morning, faith family at the landing. May the very blessing, Larry, you just read be upon you and all who read the word of God aloud here at the faith family at the landing on the Lord's Day, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Let's pray. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, I pray now for the power of your Holy Spirit to come and to become our teacher with unique and manifest presence through Revelation, specifically chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, but through all this glorious concluding book of your word. Come instruct us powerfully and clearly through these precious words of Holy Scripture by which we are promised a blessing when we read it aloud when we hear it, and when we take it to heart and keep it. The days are evil, Lord. You don't need to be informed of that. You're permitting it for your high and holy purposes. We are right to ask, what's the outcome of economies and pandemics and wars? What's the outcome of bodies and families, ethnicities, time itself? What's the outcome? Where's everything leading? The answer is found right before us in the book of Revelation. Show us your glory, we pray. From the book of Revelation, both this Lord's day and all the Lord's days, that you have us in it. We pray in Jesus' name that we might honor and glorify him by trusting in him, finding refuge and salvation in him, obeying and joyfully following him, and generously spreading and proclaiming him to a needy and hell-bent world. There is one name under heaven given among men whereby all who would be saved may be saved. Jesus Christ the righteous. Glorify him through us we pray now as he helps us by your spirit. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Who do men say that I am? Jesus asked his disciples at the apex of his teaching ministry. Peter boldly confessed his highest theological declaration in supreme worship. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And our Lord Jesus thunders, and I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, 
I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The Lord Jesus thunders on this rock, Peter, the confession that I am the Christ. I will build my church and the gates of hell, which are trying like crazy right now to stop the church, will not prevail against it. The whole rest of the New Testament is Jesus achieving that promise. And then you come to the book of the Revelation, and that's the movie of it. It's all the book until you get to Revelation, and then it's the film, the picture, the movie. I'm indebted to Sinclair Ferguson for that helpful insight. The book of Revelation is picture upon picture, image upon image, Word picture upon word picture, which is meant to describe exactly what we see Jesus saying he would do. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You can see in the book of Revelation, as we ponder and study and think our way through this glorious apex of the New Testament and really of the whole Bible, these images and symbols that are rich to help us see this revelation. The very meaning of the word means God is revealing himself. Isn't it ironic that so many people say, isn't revelation hard to understand? It's not supposed to be hard to understand. It's supposed to be the sweetest, clearest, simplest, most accessible gift that Christians living in the first century, when John is writing, could receive in their persecution, in their confusion, in their oppression, in their fear and hard-pressed anxiety, the believers of the early church in the first century should take the book of Revelation and just say, oh, I get that. Oh, thank you, God. I get that. That's so cool. I'll take that. That's for me. It's meant to be the sweetest, clearest, most wonderful gift to the body of Christ And I find it demonically ironic that it's the one book all kinds of people avoid. It's the one book people want to argue over in the silliest ways. It's the one book that seems the most opaque instead of the most clear. It's the one book that if you like equations and linear thinking and everything being A plus B leads to C, you find yourself so puzzled and frustrated by. What if we got inside the head of John's first readers? What if we got inside the head of John, who's writing as an older man, John the Apostle, probably in his 90s, at least his elder 80s, Exiled to the island of Patmos off of Greece in the Aegean Sea because he had been proclaiming the gospel. And here he's given a revelation from Jesus Christ of what God has done, what God is presently doing in his day, what God will continue to do from his day till ours, and what the very end will be like. All is a gift a picture book, a film, a movie to say to all the people suffering and persecuted as believers around the world, here's how it turns out. I'm God. I planned it all. I win. Side with me 
and find your salvation, your rest, and your hope secure. Here's my outline very briefly. What's the origin of the revelation? What's its flow? What's its message and what's its aim? The origin of the revelation, its flow, its message, and its aim, all in preparation for us to launch into the book of Revelation as well as to enjoy feasting spiritually at the table before us. First, the origin of the revelation. Look at verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. John writes it. He's guided along by an angel. The angel got it from Jesus, and God, the Father, gave it to Jesus. God is the origin. God is mercifully saying, I'm explaining to you what I'm doing. I'm explaining to you how to understand the Old Testament. I'm explaining to you all that I've been doing there. I'm explaining to you the meaning of the death and resurrection of my son. And he, the Lord Jesus Christ, will give this revelation to you, angel, and then to John. And you'll all have answers for why I am who I am and what I am doing in the world, past, present, and future. This is God mercifully saying, You, of course, want to know how the world is concluding. What all of these things are leading to, I'm mercifully giving you the answer, he says. It's a revelation. It's not meant to be confusing or cloaked or hidden. It's meant to be revealed. It comes to John by the angel from Jesus. It comes as a sweet gift from God. As I've been studying the book of Revelation, I actually came to this book actually very tentative, very uneasy. I wasn't sure that it was the right thing for us to do as a church. I kept hearing in my own prayer times, go to the book of Revelation, go to the book of Revelation. And so I posited it with some of the elders and with all of them finally saying, is this the book Uh, that, that you want me to preach out of. And I became more and more convinced all the time that the Lord would have me preach out of this book, mainly because I think I need to hear a word out of the book of Revelation in my own life. If, in fact, it may redound to the benefit of anyone else, I'm thrilled at that. But God is speaking to me very powerfully out of the book of Revelation, and this first three verses is no exception to that expectation. It's a gift from God. He's already shown me glorious things about himself from this book. It's precious. I want you to show what I mean by that. Look at verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show. Do you see that word show? In Greek, it's semina. It's an odd and rare word. It's not a word John uses very often. In fact, he uses it in his gospel to show Jesus revealing who he is by his works of signs and wonders. It's Jesus revealing his identity and the identity of the gospel in this showing. Usually in the New Testament, it's hearing and teaching and saying, but here God is showing It's a profound word that God means for us to pause on and and give us an interpretive scheme for how to look at the whole rest of the book of Revelation. 
You're to see things. You're to see the images that God gives us so that we are overwhelmed and, and comforted and strengthened by the image or the visions we're granted. That's why the word is to show. And it's a much larger plan than you might at first expect. You remember the most important passage in the background of the book of Revelation is Daniel chapter 2. Let me show you where this showing comes from. If you wish, turn to Daniel chapter 2 with me. Otherwise, I'm going to read some passages from Daniel chapter 2 right now to help you see the background of this word show. Do you remember in Daniel chapter 2, there's a very clear image in your mind? Daniel 2 has Nebuchadnezzar with a dream. He doesn't have anybody to interpret the dream. He calls for all his advisors. Tell me what the dream is and interpret it for me. None of them can. He threatens their death. Finally, Daniel prays. He asks the Lord and he steps up and he says, I can not only tell you what the dream is, I can interpret it for you. Do you remember the dream? A statue made of gold, bronze, iron, and clay. And then a tiny rock, not made by hands, comes out of the sky, comes rushing down and smashes the feet of this massive statue. And Daniel says, there are four very powerful kingdoms to come after you, king. And a, a kingdom, a tiny kingdom, not made with hands, meaning a divine kingdom, will come and destroy all of these kingdoms. Over and over in Daniel chapter 2, in the Greek translation of Daniel 2, which is written in Hebrew, the Greek translation John would have been reading includes this word, semina, 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 over a dozen times. Shocking. Never anywhere else in all of Hebrew or Greek literature does this word occur in such a compact area. But it does in Daniel chapter 2. Daniel says, through the prophetic power of God, these events are going to happen in the future, in coming days. It says in verse 44, And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Daniel prophesies that in future days, there will come this small kingdom not made with human hands, and it will destroy all the kingdoms of the earth. Well, I have got news for demonic and angelic realms and for all who are willing to hear the sound of my voice. The kingdom has landed. That kingdom not made with hands arrived 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ was born. And when he lived and when he died for sins and when he rose from the grave conquering death and when he's reigning as king at the right hand, the king not made with hands has come and it promises to topple all earthly kingdoms. Disattach yourself disentangle yourself from every earthly kingdom. They are about to topple. The kingdom of God has landed. The tiny stone has caused cracks in every kingdom, no matter what material or metal it is made out of. It will fall. And you discover this connection. I hadn't seen... You're going to go, huh? I hadn't seen the connection between Revelation 1 and Daniel 2 ever before in my life. 
Thank you, Lord. Made by this beautiful Greek word in Revelation 1.1, semina, to show. And how many times the Greek translation, semina, shows up in Daniel 2? Over a dozen. Magnificent. This revelation is from God. What Daniel said would happen in future days, John now says, must soon, that is now, take place. Don't pause and say, the book of Revelation can be reduced down into small little equivalents. Don't fall into that trap. It's way too big for that. No, the locusts in Revelation 9 are not Russian tanks from the 1950s. No, those locusts are not Vietnamese helicopters from the 1960s. All of these uh, uh, opinions are in print. No, the locusts are not drones in the air today. Those are all reductionists. Those are all far too small. In Revelation chapter 9, when we get to it, you'll see that these locusts are demons sent out of the pit of hell by the devil himself and and that they're causing a temporary but horrific time of pain upon unbelievers before the judgment. And, And what these demons intend for evil, God intends for good because he's telling through the pain these unbelievers to repent and believe before the final judgment. This is God ordering evangelistically the work of demons. What they intend for evil, he intends for good. That's what you see in Revelation chapter 9. Not drones and helicopters. Don't tame the book of Revelation. That's the origin of it. What's the flow of it? Look at verses 1-1. The second half specifically. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. And then verse 2. Who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ even to all that he saw. Think how sad John was. All his other apostle friends, as he had heard word, had been martyred for the faith. He alone was left. He's on the island of Patmos because a emperor named Domitian hated John and hated anybody who proclaimed the gospel. Look down to verse 9. You can see why John is on the island of Patmos. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. He's proclaimed the gospel That has become ugly to hear in the ears of an evil emperor like Domitian. And so he's been relegated to exile on an island, probably by himself or maybe with some guards. Maybe he has an assistant who helps him write. And here to this old man who feels so shelved and so dismissed and so minimized, he's given this vision The angel comes to him, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, he's given this glorious vision from God, from Jesus Christ, and this vision is about, as we'll see, the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. 
But ponder the kindness this is to John. Ponder the beauty and power that this is to John who is given the last word of Scripture to write down and inscripturate for us to remember and for us to sit under and give authority to and obey not only until Christ comes but for an eternity after. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. What a gift to John this is. What an encouragement when he wonders why he's the only apostle still alive. There's an even sweeter encouragement embedded for John here, and I want you to see it. Look at verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him. God gave Jesus, his son, the revelation. Why? To show to his servants the things that must soon take place. God the Father says to the Son, Son, you take this glorious package of images, this film, this movie. You take it. Give it to your servants. Because it's not just about you, Jesus. It's from you. It's not just history talking about Jesus in the past where John could say, oh, I tasted him, I saw him, I smelled him, I touched him, should have been there. No, it's Jesus still talking. (laughs) It's the risen Christ still giving the revelation. And by the Holy Spirit, he's still illuminating and applying his revealed word to our hearts right now. My prayer is that through the foolishness of my gropings to understand these verses, the Holy Spirit would be giving you the word of God in your heart right now louder than I ever could. The flow comes the Father to the Son. The Son gives it to the angel who then guides and instructs through the vision Jesus' servant John. John then gives it to his servants, Jesus' servants, And we very plainly are meant to receive it and to freely give it to others around us until the day draws near. That's the flow. Surely, this is meant to create in us what it creates in John. Do you know what his most common response is? What is John's most common response to the things he sees? Over and over, he falls down on his feet and he worships because of what he sees. If we're receiving the revelation of Jesus Christ through this flow, the earmark and proof for everyone who receives it is that worship will rise up in our hearts. We will begin to bow low before the Lord. We will begin to despair of ourselves. We'll look away from all the other counterfeit sources of hope and and efforts of, of wisdom in our world, and we will give ourselves wholly to worshiping God, we will become a worshiping people more than we ever have before. And we will be zealous and eager to spread this good news of revelation around the world so that God might awaken to join us, worshipers from every tribe, tongue, people, and language. That's the flow. What's the message of revelation? Verse 2, we've already seen it. Who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. Do you know 
that the very content of the book of Revelation is stunning. The very content of the book of Revelation is the word of God as it finds its perfect climax and it is in fact the testimony of Jesus Christ which is nothing other than a reference to his coming, his death, his resurrection, and his reign. 272 times the book of Revelation directly quotes the Old Testament. That's more than the whole rest of the New Testament put together. One scholar sees 1,100 allusions to the Old Testament in the book of Revelation. The most important foundation for understanding the book of Revelation is the Old Testament. And the way that we understand the book of Revelation is to bring all the Old Testament to bear as we study and understand the passages before us. The idea of God fulfilling the Old Testament. He's fulfilling all the promises he made to Abraham and Noah and Moses and David and then to Jesus Christ and all the promises that are made through the rest of the New Testament. They all find their climax here in the book of Revelation. One of the ways that you can feel this, one of the ways that you can tell this, even even if you haven't read very much of the book of Revelation, is how important numbers are in the book of Revelation. Have you ever noticed that? Numbers like 3, 4, 7, and 12 are everywhere in the book of Revelation. And they are rich with fulfillment. 3 obviously means the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But, But do you also notice that, and you'll notice this when you read this aloud. I'm going to invite you at the end of our time to read this aloud in your own personal devotional prayer time. When you read the book of Revelation aloud, you notice that it tends to fall, even in English, although more clearly in Greek, into a waltz timing. It does. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and who is to come. Three, from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God who was, who is, and who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. God means for us to hear this read aloud as the first century believers would have heard it and say, oh, the power, the beauty, the glory of God is even in the words. Four means the four directions on the compass, meaning all the globe, all reality, all that's in existence is under the purview, guidance, providence, and control of God. Seven is perfection. Not just that there are three layers, a trinity of layers of seven bowls 
seals and trumpets. But that the name Christ appears exactly seven times in the book of Revelation. The name Jesus and Spirit appear exactly 14 times in the book of Revelation each. And the title, Lamb, 28 times. No mistake or accident that the symbol of this world's sinful fallen system, Babylon, appears six times. Six being the number of inadequate man. The message over and over is the full, complete, sovereign control of God as it is climaxed in the death and resurrection of His Son. It's given to servants, and so the question must become, how how are these people made servants? Listen to Revelation 7, verse 10, where there's this multitude gathered before the throne and before the Lamb from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. They stand before the Lamb and they sing with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is the church. This is a picture of you and I standing before the Lamb right now. These are you and me, the heavenly host, saved and worshiping the Lord and declaring that salvation belongs to the Lamb. Verses 13 and 14 go on. Then one of the elders addressed me, John, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know... And he, the elder, said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Revelation 7, 13 through 14. How do you become a servant, a recipient of the gospel salvation that's in Revelation and in the Bible? You come washing your life, your robe, in the precious blood of the Lamb. Salvation comes through Christ and through Christ alone. And all those gathered in heaven have a white garment made clean by the blood of the Lamb. They came with a dirty garment. Sinners come and they say, Lord, please, I would be clean. And he cleanses them by grace. Listen to how Revelation 7 goes on to describe the joy of this multitude of blood-washed wearing servants and saints. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in the temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. These are promises from the Old Testament. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. This is everybody who trusts Christ. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. No one has an unclean robe in heaven. All in heaven have been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. Oh, be clean. Hear the sound of my voice and the sound of Revelation 7 and come to the Lord. Be clean of every sin. John says it this way in his letter, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and what? 
cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the message of the revelation. Its origin is God. Its flow is through John. Its message is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Over and over and over again, the gospel is demonstrated, declared, and depicted here in the book of Revelation, and I love it. Finally, its aim. Verse 3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. So there's an aim for this message of Revelation to come to what I'm describing as blessed servants. We know they're servants from verse 1, but here they're called blessed if they read and hear and keep the word of the book of Revelation. There's a blessing stated twice. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of the prophecy, and blessed are those who hear who keep what is written, for the time is near. We can tell something of what this blessing is because it says, for the time is near. For the time is near, meaning there is a judgment to come. There is dangers and trials and tribulations to come. The book of Revelation is replete and clear. But the whole rest of the Bible has been saying that, right? That's not new. The blessing is the protection, the salvation, the preservation of God, of his church, through all those difficult trials and tribulations. The blessed servants are those who have trusted in Christ, and he has promised to hold us and to keep us just as we keep his word. There's a beautiful passage that ties these two kinds of keeping together where we're keeping the word and Christ is keeping us. We're preserving and obeying and hanging on to the word as he helps us, but his keeping and preserving us is the source of all our keeping his word. Turn in just maybe a page in your copy of the scriptures or click through to Revelation chapter 3, verse 10. The Lord Jesus is talking by the Spirit, through the angel and John, to the church at Philadelphia. Look at verse 10. Same Greek word as keep back in Revelation 1.3. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Do you see the interplay? We're to hold fast. We're to keep his word. And as we're holding fast and keeping the word of God, Christ is holding us and keeping us. He's going to preserve us through the trial, through the testing, through the difficulty that is to come. Now back to Revelation 1.3. Blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. This Greek word tereo, translated to keep, might be translated in your version, hold or obey with all your heart. Tereo is often a word that gets at the heart of a person, at their passion, their desire, what they're delighting in. 
That's how to keep God's word. We're not interested in merely outward obedience. We're interested in the kind of keeping that goes deep down into our hearts where we say, I treasure God's word. I feast on God's word. It's like honey from the honeycomb to me, Revelation, uh, Psalm 19. It's my delight and my treasure and my joy. We say with Moses in Deuteronomy 32, 47, this word I have spoken to you is no idle thought, but it is your very life. What are the blessings that are held out in the book of Revelation? Well, if you read through the book of Revelation, you might not find it a surprise to discover that the blessing promised here in 1-3 is one of seven throughout the whole Bible, or the whole book, rather. Seven blessings are in the book of Revelation. This is the first one. All of those blessings can be summed up this way. The blessing... God holds out to all who read and receive to their heart this word is the blessing of salvation. He preserves us to the end. The blessing of preparedness. He will come and he will equip us. And even though he comes like a thief and even though there are difficulties, he will help us keep our white garments white and keep them on and be ready for the time is near. And third, he promises rest. He promises rest. Oh, can you imagine how the first century readers would have loved the promises of salvation, preparedness, and rest? Can you imagine how the church in Ukraine loves to hear the word of revelation that in your trial and tribulation right now, God, by his word, brings you salvation, preparedness, and rest? Maybe rest is the sweetest sound your ears are hearing right now as well. I invite you to not only read along with us through the book of Revelation, but I invite you to make it a part of or the centerpiece of your personal devotions over the coming weeks and months. And I challenge you to read it out loud to yourself. I read chapter 1 out loud to myself this morning. And it was absolutely delightful. I hold that out to you. Some of you will say, sure, I'm happy to add revelation into my daily Bible reading. I'm happy to read the portion each day, a chapter, a half a chapter, whatever length seems best. And I'll read it out loud. Some of you might say, but I want to take it into my heart and I want to memorize a portion or verses out of the book of Revelation. Or some may say, I would memorize the whole book. That's how to take it to heart. That's how to ingest it and receive it. Find verses that are precious to you as we walk through the book of Revelation and commit them to memory. Read the book of Revelation, even just a portion every day, but read it aloud. Let the blessings that are promised in verse 3 fall upon you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for speaking to us and revealing yourself to us in this glorious book. The, the film, as it were, the movie out of all of the rest of the books of the Bible. Thank you so much for Christ and for the centrality of the gospel in Revelation. And thank you so much for the way that you intend for us to become a people ready for your return by reading aloud and receiving all the blessings that are ours in this book. 
May Christ be exalted. May sinners be saved. May the saints be strengthened. And may the equipped be sent out through the power of your word in the book of Revelation. Banish the enemy from our lives, from our church family, from our bodies, from our minds, from our souls and hearts. Unite us more closely than we've ever been. Deepen us in yourself more deeply than we've imagined. Catch us up into the heights higher than we could ever dream. Be glorified, I pray, supremely in the way you achieve all your grand and glorious purposes for your word. In us as a church family, in Jesus' name, I pray, amen.